to the Conscious Culture Cafe, the podcast that explores how you can lean into your purpose, live your values, and enhance your social impact through your work. I'm your host, Kathy Miller Perkins. Have you ever wondered what it would take to transform your well-established small or medium-sized business into a purpose-driven company? Are you wondering where to start and what to expect along the way? Our guest today will provide some ideas. You're in for a treat today as Scott Collins, President of Facilities Management Services, is with us. And Scott tells me that his company is the first janitorial company in the world to become a certified B Corp. He's the first B Corp certified in Louisville, Kentucky, and the second in the state of Kentucky. So let's get started with Scott and have him tell you a little bit about the history of how all this came about. Scott, give us some ideas about how you became the president of FMS, what you did before, a little bit about your journey over the last several years. Several, gosh, I don't know. I mean, how many? Now it's been 18. Oh, that's several. Yeah, so several, <laughs> severals. Yeah. So it really, my background was in academia. So I was working way back in 2001. I was in my third year coursework on a um, PhD in literacy and rhetoric at Kent State University. And, you know, my intention was to become a writer. That's always what I had hoped to do ever since I was pretty young. And uh, my dad had bought a small janitorial service in Shelbyville, Kentucky in 99 and uh, passed away unexpectedly um, shortly after he bought the business in May of 2001. So back then it was the height of the Clinton era. Basically, if you walked into the bank and tried to get an SBA loan and they checked your pulse and you had it, you could get a loan. It's a lot different than these days. So he was able to secure a pretty hefty loan to buy that business. And... You know, I, was, I always loved the the idea that I came in uh, in shining armor on a white horse to save the family. Uh, I wish I could say that that was the entirety of the motivation. The truth is, is I had somewhat become disenchanted with academia, and I was kind of ready to get out anyway. Mm-hmm. But that said, there certainly uh, were some drivers uh, in the circumstance when Dad passed. So, yeah. um, you know, I walked into a company that had $780,000, almost 800000 in long-term debt, a company that was doing 600000 to 700000 in revenue and losing 100000 and Ooh, had no challenge. Yeah, yeah, very much of a challenge, had no operating capital, using credit cards for that. So it was fortuitous that I was studying literacy and rhetoric and didn't know what I was walking into. I'll bet. I'll bet. Big surprise. (laughs) So when you became president, did you immediately come up with the idea of becoming a mission-driven company or did that gradually evolve? How did that come about? Yeah, that definitely happened over time. I use the language of moving from this space of intuitively doing good towards intentionality and Mm -hmm. You know, for the first many years, it was just about this sense of if I treat people well, the profit and the financial stability will follow. Mm -hmm. And so those people being employees, vendors, customers... And even the people calling every month to make sure we were making that SBA payment. Very important stakeholders. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. So the idea was, you know, hey, I feel like if I treat people well and I am myself and operate with, with kindness and integrity and openness that 
things will ultimately work out. Yeah, and so 18 years later. Yeah, 18 <laughs> along years the way, later, you few bumps, but well, we all have had bumps. Yeah. You became certified as a B Corp. Can you tell me what led you to that certification process, or how you made that decision? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of markers along the way. Yeah, I tell this story often in different spaces. One of the first ones, early ones, was our first leadership retreat that we went to. And at that time, I think we had about 200 employees. And I took my leaders out to a state park here in Kentucky. And really the intention of the weekend was, one, just to do some team building. But we, we had a question. We wanted to understand how we went from the 30 employees we had when when dad died and I took over the business to, at that point, the 200. Mm -hmm. So the question was, how did we go? And how many years was that? Uh, I want to say that was was eight, nine years. Okay. Yep, eight or nine Mm -hmm. years. So how did we do that was the question. And really, we didn't realize it at the moment, but what we were coming up with was our core values. Uh-huh. And you know, the answer that just kept coming back was, it's because we care about each other. It's because we care about each other. Mm-hmm. So that turned into care about the people you work with. It was a statement that we made and said, okay, this is, this is something we're gonna hold on to, which led into conversation around, okay, if that's what has allowed us to succeed, how do we ensure that that is baked into the DNA of our company? How do we ensure that that is going to show up in policy and in practice and in the way we operate as we continue to grow? And that's where maybe that was that first shift towards intentionality. Right. Prior to that, it was just, hey, let's treat each other well, right. and trust that everything will fall into place. And then all of a sudden we had that aha movement moment where we, you know what? Treating each other well is really making this work. How do we make sure we continue doing that? And, you know, that intentionality is something that's so unique to B corporations, I think, or mission-driven businesses, because many companies have value statements. But going that extra step and figuring out what that looks like when you put those values in operation is a big step to take. Using that value, those values as a filter mm-hmm. by which to, uh, to, to, to look at the decisions you make and how things show up within your organization, that's mm-hmm. key. Um, but then, of course, moving into identifying a specific social or environmental mission. And, of course, that happened much further down the road. Oh, did it? Uh, oh, yes, yes. So after that, uh, sort of identifying that it was really about caring about each other we moved to thinking about, you know, look, we can't pay our janitors $50,000 a year. The market won't bear it. Right. We did make a commitment to, to fight that fight over the long haul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're still doing that today. And that's around raising consumer consciousness. Right. It's around changing a market. And we've been very successful at that. Good uh, for we you. have continuously raised wages and uh, offered bonuses and different incentives. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's worked. Um, but really, the idea was, you know, if we can't pay them $50,000 a year, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And then that's when the idea started to come. Okay. Well, okay, so it began with things like, okay, well, let's have an annual picnic where we invite all of our employees. And what began as simply a picnic at the farm of one of our integral employees, Kathy Russell, who was with the company when dad bought it, what began as, you know, karaoke and a cookout, inviting all of our employees to show up and just have a good time, 
has now evolved into something that can almost rival some of the Catholic church picnics in terms of a, <laughs> of a family festival with the games and the bouncies and all the sort of things. Right. So uh, we bus people in from all over the state. Hundreds and hundreds of people show up. So uh, it's turned into quite the ordeal. But but things like that, mm-hmm. you know, what what can we do mm-hmm. to make the experience of working at FMS better? So that was a, that was a big shift. Okay, so what, how do we intentionally enact caring about each other? Yes. And how do we intentionally enact caring about those frontline workers? And as you know, a lot of that's culture too, yes. in terms of just simply talking and being right. and demanding that other leaders behave in the way that we behave at the highest level. Did you set behavioral standards? How did you how did you make sure that all your leaders were behaving the way you expected them to? So, Early on, you know, again, it was really intuitive. It was without consciously necessarily doing it. We were modeling behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, We knew that we wanted to operate with empathy. And Mm -hmm. all of us, you know, at the top were empathetic people. So, you know, we would go into different HR situations or different difficulties uh, with our team members with an eye of trying to understand as opposed to an eye uh, around maybe punitive measurements or right. trying to find a way to write somebody up and put right. them on their permanent record. Right. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent shift, I would say. Yeah. So it was gradual, it looks like. it was Very gradual. Okay. So, so tell us about your mission now and how you ended up where you are now with right. the mission of the company. So a, big, a pivotal moment, you know, again, there's so many markers along the road. But another one that's very important is in around 2012, I went out to California and uh, went out there for a number of different things, but for personal reasons to look into meditation for the first time for myself and, and to and do some uh, yoga and get exposed to those sorts of things. And while I was out there, I met a couple of folks that run larger companies mm-hmm. in this very intentional, conscious way. Uh-huh. They were much further along in the path. And that was really an inspiration in that I saw that a company could really scale and and still hold on to these ideas. Right. And in fact, there was a whole movement around this that I really wasn't awake to up right. until that point. So interestingly, I came back to Louisville, sort of somewhat, I, I hesitate to use the word enlightened, but maybe a little <laughs> bit more awake to things. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that was interesting because I had to, had to make some moves at the leadership level. Was that difficult? Um, not for me. Okay. <laughs> All right. It, it was, it, I mean, it's always difficult. I, I, I say that in jest. Of course it was difficult when you're talking to people. But I, I just because I, I said it because I, I was walking into it with confidence that what I was doing was the right thing. Yeah. That, that, that there simply were some people that didn't fit within our culture mm-hmm. and that just simply didn't get it. And mm-hmm. it was time to own who we were and somewhat demand that people operate the way we're going to operate. Yeah. And um, so that happened. Uh, and then I made some other modifications and changed the way we did our meetings, called them process meetings, and shifted around how we think about things. Language and, is important. Oh, it's very <laughs> important. And then, you know, I had the, the meditation pillow in my office. And anyway, so, um, yeah, what happened uh, shortly after that, about a month after that, my VP, uh, now she's my VP of Human Relations, but back then she was a manager, comes into my office one day, she knocks on the door and says, we need to talk. And I say, okay. She comes in and she closes the door and uh, she says, Scott, you know, what's going on? 
And, you know, I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, you know, you're frightening everybody. Oh, really? <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. And uh, I went on in a half an hour and tried to explain myself. You know, this is what I think. And, you know, I really think we should move in this direction. And trust me, this is, this is going to work. And all that. And um, she left a half an hour later, not so convinced. Really? Then, fortuitously, my phone dings. And I forgot that I had an invitation. I'd made a reservation that year for the Festival of Faith here in Louisville. Mm -hmm. And that year, there was a workshop, a presentation on compassion in the workplace. Uh -huh. And I ran over to Jen's office and I said, hey, what are you doing for the rest of the afternoon? She happened to be open. Jumped in the car, we drove to this. And we go hear this wonderful talk that was moderated by Mayor Fisher, uh, Mayor of Louisville, and had a number of different high-level leaders and organizations that were really operating in this manner. And long story short is at the end of it, we're driving back, and Jen turned to me and she, she said, I get it, I'm with you. Yeah. And uh, so I had that sort of first follower right there. And that well, was you an know, moment. that right. story fits so well with some of the research that I've done on culture of purpose-driven companies. What it shows is that one of the things that makes those companies distinct is the way they interact with externals. Uh, that they're much more open to learning from externals. They seek out new ways of thinking about things beyond their own boundaries. And right. your story just absolutely validates that. Yep. yep. And if we want to move into to your question, the B Corp space. So, yeah, you're lucky I'm really condensing this. We'll go to the next third pivotal moment, you know, when there's about 15 of them. I'll bet. We'll go to the one that, you know, a few years later after that, I took eight of the leaders of the Case Western University to a conference called Flourish and Prosper. And it's around for-profit businesses being the driver for the positive social change we need to see. Mm -hmm. And it was really an amazing conference. Uh, there was actually a Nobel Peace Prize winner there. Uh, a number of different corporations were represented. But really our pivotal moment in that space was that we met Jay Cohn Gilbert, who is one of the founders of B Labs, oh. who created the B Corp certification. Uh -huh. And we had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with him. And then that was when it really dinged because what he was articulating was, of course, an assessment, a program yes. to certify that you're operating. But what I was seeing was a roadmap. Yes. I was seeing a 200 yes. point assessment that, that forced us to look at things that we hadn't even thought of yeah. and really become truly intentional mm -hmm. about operating our business in the right way. Was that so the that first was, time you'd heard about B-Labs? Sure is. Yeah. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that, you know, within, I think, two years after that, we became a B Corp. Wonderful. So, as a B Corp, you have to measure impact, correct? That's correct. Do you have specific goals that you set uh, as part of that certification process? And, and if so, what are they? And, and how do you measure impact? Right, so yes, it is an evolving process. So to give you an idea, in early stages, we have, let me start off by saying the first thing we needed to do was to create an overall social mission. Mm -hmm. And what we arrived at was that we wanted to provide access and opportunities to our frontline workers, uh, janitors, and help the communities where they live thrive. Mm -hmm. So that was what we really came up with at that point. Did it take a long time to, to get there, or was that just a, an um, easy step? No, it? it took a long time to get there because 
The approach that we took, uh, because we were more of a conversion, meaning we, we maybe intuitively were operating as a good company, but we really sort of converted into becoming what you might call an impact-driven or a socially conscious business, right. yeah. that we really put our, that stake in the ground at a certain point in our history after we'd already been around for a while. Mm -hmm. um, so the way my mind went was, it makes sense to me to think about your social mission uh, let me back up. To think about, create, as you create your social mission, to consider it in a, in a lens of what is a problem or a situation you're dealing with in your organization mm -hmm. that potentially the, the execution of the social mission would help address. So the idea Makes perfect being, sense. Right. The idea being that, you know, it's very much the B Corp model, is that the successful execution of the social mission should ultimately lead to the financial right. and, and overall well-being of the organization. So that was what made it, I don't want to say tricky, it was so much fun, but that's what made it, you know, maybe a bit more of a challenge. So the idea being, for us, we're a janitorial service, that turnover is our biggest issue, oh, as is in the entire industry. So the idea being, okay, well, let's make our social mission help address that issue of turnover. Mm -hmm. So we began to consider a mission that involved, that specifically articulated helping our frontline workers, our janitors. So that's how we came up with that. Okay. Yep. Good. And so that makes it easy to measure, too, if you're focused on turnover. Well, well, <laughs> or are there other well, well yeah, so, the, so yeah, the turnover metric is what I would call sort of a, an internal company-specific metric, okay. right? So, mm -hmm. you know, that is a result. If we're doing this right, Good we point. should see it show yes. up there. Right. Right. So, but, but what happened is, is that we started saying, okay, so we're going to provide access and opportunity to our frontline workers and health communities where they live thrive. So what we learned after, let's call it a year or two in that game, was that that's pretty broad. Yeah. And um, we started diving into a number of different programs. And so our programs were either stuff we came up with on our own and executed, or we would partner with existing community groups that were already doing things. Well, anyway, we got pulled in a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. Long story short is that in that space what we learned is is it's not necessarily the wisest thing to go and tell people what you think they need. That we learned that maybe lesson. we need to go out there and say, How could we help you? What would right. you like to see? So that was the the birth of the employee survey that we had an employee survey prior to that, but wasn't asking questions about these sorts of things. Yes. You know, what would you like? How could we help you? What would you like access to? Yes. So then once we got that feedback, what we found out was we want to live healthier lives. We want our kids to have opportunity to experience things they may not otherwise experience. We would like a list of things. And ultimately what came from that is that we, we came up with two pillars that fall underneath that overarching social mission. And we decided we're going to focus on financial health for our people and physical health. And those became our two missions. And then the same ideas helping that out in the communities where we work. So to, to help those things sort of occur. So that helped us get a little bit more specific, yes. right? right? And then we were able to really zero in on programming, right? So then let me give you an example of, of, of metrics. So one of the things we did was we partnered with a local nonprofit that creates sort of fresh stop marketplaces where folks can get fresh fruits and vegetables. And we set up a partnership to where our employees were able to get fresh fruits and vegetables every other payday, uh, every payday, yes. so every other week during the warm months every year. 
and uh, we have this experiential sort of farmer's market type experience for them and we heavily subsidize it so for five dollars they get enough fresh fruits and vegetables for a family of four for two weeks and there's folks teaching how how to cook these things and and talking about the nutritional value so the idea there is is that that's fulfilling a want that they wanted and so what would the metric be around that now we don't get too much into outcomes we're not that sophisticated but our metrics are more like our first year we had 18 families participate and this year we have over 65 participants. <laughs> That's a good metric. So, right, <laughs> yeah. so and the metric comes around that. Yes. So, participants, yes. uh, things like that. Now we're getting much more sophisticated around our measurement, too, in that our tools no longer simply ask things like, Did you like the program? Would you participate again? Would you recommend right. a friend? Now we're getting into things like, Did your participation in the program make you more likely to work harder in cleaning your building? Did it make you more likely to want to stay at FMS? Did it really? make you more likely to recommend FMS as a place of employment to a friend? And what we're trying to do is find a more direct line from the successful execution of the social mission to the financial and you know the well-being of our company in different right. ways. Right. So we're getting into those sorts of metrics now. So you, you kind of, you try something, you get better at it, you try something else. It, it, it sounds like it really is a journey. It's yes. not something that you just all of a sudden say, oh, yeah. here's how we're going to measure it, here's how we know it's, it's working. so much a journey. There have been a lot of misses. <laughs> I think that's good for yep. our listeners to hear yep. because yep. it's, uh, you, you have to take some risks. Yep. You have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's it. Keep so, it simple. That would be one of uh, a piece that's of That's a good, good keep advice. It, keep it simple when you're starting off. You, one, you don't need to be all things to everyone. Uh, zero in on a, on a specific mission that you, that you want to accomplish. And then as you develop your programming around that, uh, consider using partners that are already good at it. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to create it on your own, keep it simple. Uh, and, and make it to where you can easily measure some sort of simple metric. It sounds easy. I'm sure it wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's easy to talk about. Yes, right. Has it changed your business model? It certainly has. It shows up in every space uh, from how we're bidding now with, with higher wages. Mm-hmm. We have decreased our margin in our bids with the belief that you know this is going to be, we're going to have longer-term customers, that this is going to work over time, that the decreased turnover rate is going to allow us to be uh, uh, seen as much more competitive as, as a vendor of choice. Mm-hmm. So it's changed it's changed how we present our bids. We've gone transparent. So we sit in front of a customer and show them what all of our costs are, what we're oh, going to really? pay our people, yes. what our margin is, and those are the conversations we have. We believe in doing business that way. It's changed everything from the moment somebody is referred to FMS and makes that phone call to be an employee. It begins showing up there in terms of who we are as an organization and what we believe in. Yeah, that brings me to the issue of culture, which, as you know, is one of my biggest interests. Uh, You and I had a conversation one day where you said, yes, culture is important, and our people aren't all at the same physical facility. So how do you maintain a culture when people are so spread out? Well, if I, if I figure that out, we'll, we'll write a second book. Together. Okay, <laughs> that's uh, a deal. I, 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 know, I, I know what we're I know what we're trying to do. Uh, so yes, you're right. We have a big challenge in that we have 900 employees, and they all show up at different buildings spread across a couple hundred miles, and they all work different shifts, different days of the week. So how do you how do you have a culture 
in that sort of space. Right. That's, that's a challenge. Truth, it's, it's very much of a challenge. So, you know, it comes to creativity. You know, obviously there's some go-to newsletters, mm -hmm. frequent communications through our time tracking system on the phone, frequent email communications, leadership on out there in the field, uh, really living those values, mm -hmm. getting those communications, and then events where people are invited to, like I mentioned. Yes. You know, if you're going to have uh, an event for people to participate in, uh, but they're 110 miles away, mm -hmm. you better overcome that barrier if you want them to participate. So yeah, we go rent a bus and we go get them and bring them here so that they can participate in those sorts of so things. So you're a believer in face-to-face, -face, building culture face-to-face, -face, it sounds like. Yes, as much I as I read possible. that in one of your newsletters. Yes, so as, I, as much as possible. Yeah. That said, you know, technologies are helping out in different ways yeah. and we will continue to evolve around that. So. Yes. I wonder about, so many small businesses are virtual these days and that makes the challenge similar to what you're talking about in terms of how do you build a culture when people are not in the same physical space and that's that's going to continue to be a challenge I think right. for people. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you maintain look if we agree that human relationships are a core piece to our success that human relationships are valuable in an organizational setting that if we agree that the stronger those relationships are between humans, the stronger the organization is, then that necessarily follows that we have to ask ourselves, well, how do we, how do we create an environment that you know, increases the likelihood of those strong bonds? Right. And, you know, yes, we're entering into uh, an age where oftentimes people are disconnected in terms of physical space. Right. And are there ways to create those bonds in those settings? I think so. Um, do we need to have face-to-face -face contact? You know, I, I can't, I, I don't know, you know. Uh, I think about that a lot, and I just wonder, is that me just holding on to the old? Right. Right? You right. know, by saying, yeah, we've got to have that face-to-face, -face, right. but there's part of me that really believes that to be true, and I don't think that it's impossible to develop strong bonds virtually. I agree. So, you know, it's just, how do we do that? Now, my challenge is I can't have... 900 tablets out there for us to, <laughs> right. you know, uh, right. do the video conferencing every night when someone comes. That's impossible. Right. But, you know, so how does that happen? So these are the things that we're going to move towards and think about and how can we accommodate these in certain ways. So the challenges never stop. Never. <laughs> so let me see if I can summarize a few of the takeaways and then you add to it. Okay. Uh, one is keep it simple partner with people who are already doing things that support the mission that you're driving towards. Yeah. It's a journey. Yeah. It's a trial and error. Yeah. And the challenges never stop. That's right. Is there anything else that you'd add to that that you'd like our listeners to learn from our conversation? Yeah, just look at those challenges as fun. Try to try to, you know, adopt that mindset that the challenges are what make it worthwhile. Right. And, you know, that's not atypical for an entrepreneur, right? You know, we, we love to solve problems. We love to dive into the new and just figure it out. Mm -hmm. But um, just make sure you maintain that mindset as you move through this. Yeah, and what it sounds like when I hear you talk is that it's more about pursuing a vision than problem solving. That your, vi your vision seems to guide what you do. Completely. The vision and the values guide what mm -hmm. you do. And that is your comfort 
you know, entrepreneurs, we, we often are, have so many balls in the air. There's the stresses, there's the, the dealing with balance and all those sorts of things. The thing that settles me the most is when I'm able to just remember what the vision is, what the values are, and rest in that. And that to know that as, as long as we're living that, that we'll be okay. We often get overly caught up in concepts and chasing goals. Yes. When sometimes it's nice to remember that if we can just live in who we are right. and those values, that you know, that's a little bit more relaxing. And, yes. you know, and it's something to trust in and to believe in that, that ultimately things will work out. Thank you so much, Scott. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. Um, I've already heard some of it, but I learned a lot today, and I'm sure that our listeners are taking away some good ideas. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Culture Cafe. If you liked what you heard, connect with us at millerconsultants.com. You can access the show notes and receive our free materials. See you next episode.